Good morning. Uh, today's scripture is from Matthew 13, 31 through 35. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of, the, of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these, par- all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Great. Oh, perfect. I'll take it. Thank you very much. Hey, good morning. Two housekeeping uh, articles first. Um, so last week we had like 130-something kids in the back and not enough workers. And it's becoming a pattern. And uh, so I have to talk to you as dad for a second. Like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Um, I, need, I need far worse than mad. I need, like, I need like 35 people to sign up to serve or people who are already serving to sign up to serve like one more week a month. Because well, here's, here's the thing. There's way more kids than adults. And I think last week they were gathering like war paint and building weaponry. And one was holding a conch shell and talking loudly. I, it feels like, feels like we need more adults. And so here's the thing. When you serve, it's not like you serve like both services all morning. Like you serve one service, either the first one or the second one. And then you can just go to church to the other one. And if you want to eat some goldfish, eat some goldfish. Drink some juice with the kids. Have a deep conversation about Pokemon with my son, at least. Um, and... We need people to do this, to step up and serve in the children's ministry. Uh, um, poor Nicole ripping her hair out back there. So um, if it gets to it, I'll just go back there and you guys can stare at the wall and, and we'll do that. So, um, so that's first thing. Second thing, I can't stick around and talk after this service. Normally I stick around, hang out and talk. I have a plan taking off like an hour and a half after the service ends. So I'm going to have to go, but there'll be a couple of elders up here if you have questions you want to talk about stuff. Um, other than that, prayer room through the back on the left. You can pray with people back there. So uh, I think that's everything. Okay, you ready? Um, this is today's passage, and we are going to start here in verse 1 and verse 31 and 32. Um, and I'm going to start with a word of prayer, and then we're going to read this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. Um, I ask that you would allow us to be present and hear. Allow us to hear what you have for us. Allow us to um, put aside the distractions of our week, the things that we are terrified of, the ways that we have failed, the things that we are carrying around and will have to deal with once we leave this place. I ask that you um, would allow us right now to put them down so that we can pick them up later and look at them differently. Um, Speak through me. Allow me to remember the things I've studied and communicate clearly and to speak something that people need to hear, that people haven't seen, and that will help them look at things in a new way things in their life that they've always seen, help them see them in new ways. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen. Okay, so believe it or not, as with most of the Bible, when you read this passage, 
there are things that you and I miss because I'm not positive, but I don't think any of you are farmers in Palestine. Okay, so <laughs> I could be wrong. You never know who you're going to meet. Um, but I don't think any of you are that. Most of you live here and you don't particularly work with mustard seed and most of you don't like knead bread with yeast, right? Um, and maybe you do, and then you'll have some insight. So, but um, we're going to start here, and we're going to read this, and we're going to pull out some contextual things that you probably haven't seen, and that kind of shift the meaning towards places it hasn't gone before in your mind. Okay, so let's read this. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Now, uh, here's a picture of some mustard seeds. And they're not very big, but they're honestly not the smallest things. Like it says, they're the smallest of seeds. We know they're not the smallest of seeds. However, um, this is hyperbole. Um, Jesus is using language that people were already using. There are plenty of of rabbinical writings that we have where people speak of mustard seeds as, uh, as sort of metaphors for the smallest things. And the vast majority of the time, it is used in a negative way. In other words, um, there's one rabbi, first century rabbi, who writes about being defiled by a drop of blood as small as a mustard seed. Right? So a little drop of blood lands on his tunic, toga, whatever. And, and it's like a little red dot, and then he's defiled, even, even as small as a mustard seed. Now, uh, there's another rabbi who writes about defilements as small as a mustard seed. Um, this happens over and over. They write about how even the smallest sin defiles people, specifically the Pharisaical writings. Sometimes they're called the Tanaitic writings. They go from like the year 70 BC to like 200 AD. And during those times, we have all the writings of the rabbis. And this is the kind of stuff that like when you look through it, you look for the way that these passages are used, the way that these metaphors are used. That's how they would use it. It was a negative thing. It was sort of a metaphor for sin. Um, The smallest little thing hits you and plants. You are defiled. Jesus uses it in another way. Um, So Jesus is going to take it and use it as a picture of his kingdom, taking this thing that was defiled and useless, stick it in the ground, and something else grows out of it. Now, another thing you need to know about the mustard seed uh, uh, is when when you plant it and it grows, it actually doesn't grow a tree. There's not a mustard tree over there. When I was a kid, I pictured this passage as in it was the tiniest seed, and you put it in, it grows into this huge tree, and they all did. And that's just a picture, and that was God looked at that and said, look, it's... A metaphor. However, the, the mustard plant, as it were, it's very yellow, um, was, didn't really grow very tall at the most, like this sprig with the yellow flower um, and the little mustard seeds would be in the middle there at certain times of year. They, they only grew to like six feet. Like I'm six foot two, so I slouch a lot though. Uh, six foot two. And, and so like I would be staring at eye level with this plant. It's I imagine if a, if a bird flies up to nest, it's going to land, and it's just going to kind of go like this and drop the bird upside down. Um, so they're not, it's not what Jesus says. He's, he's building a picture. Now, the picture he's building is cultural. His audience gathered at the river that day, at the water's edge, uh, at the sower's cove. They know um, the reference that he is making. You and I miss it. Um, but there are plenty of, Plenty of cultural references that we use all the time that people, uh, that we don't need to explain, that we just use them. Like someone says something and I say like, that is brand new information. Like that's a friend's reference, obviously, Phoebe finding something out. She already knew. And like five of you are my age and have watched Friends. Um, 
Or like you're going to throw out a Seinfeld reference or you're going to go like, whoa, 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 and people know what that, like there's all these things that people know what they are. There are references to shows and movies and you're like, dumb and dumber. Yes, um, I know what that is. Um, it's the same way with the rabbis. They would make these references and keep rolling, but there's a picture in the heads of the people who were there listening. They would grasp these concepts because of these things that you're dropping in there, okay? Um, so the reference that Jesus was making to something becoming a tree and the branches opening up and the birds feeding off of it, um, several times throughout the Old Testament, um, the Hebrew scriptures, the scriptures that these people read, there would be um, several writings just like this. For instance, in the book of Daniel chapter 4, there is this evil king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he has this servant boy named Belteshazzar. We, we know him as, as, as Daniel, um, and that's his Jewish name. And King Nebuchadnezzar calls Belteshazzar slash Daniel um, into his sort of throne room there because he's really troubled because he's like, I had a crazy dream, as you do over your cereal. Guys, I had this crazy dream. And you tell, you tell about the dream. And this is what he did, except he's really distraught about the dream. He calls Daniel in, and here's what he says. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. He's like, oh, all right, bring it. Um, These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous, and the tree grew large and strong, and its top touched, its top touched the sky. And it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. And from it, every creature was fed. And then Dave, uh, Daniel goes on to say, oh, okay, here's what this means. You're the tree, very tall. Your branches are the kingdom, and the tree's going to fall over, and you're going to die. And your whole kingdom's going to fall. Are we done? And he walks out, right? Okay, so that's, that's how the story goes. Um, another reference right here, Ezekiel chapter 17. And this is a reference to sort of Israel, right? Um, on the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it and they will find shelter in the shade of its branches. There's another reference to this in the book of Psalms. There's another one in Proverbs. Um, when we're speaking of trees with birds landing in them, we're speaking of empires and kingdoms. That's what we're speaking of. Jesus is telling a, a parable about his kingdom. And Jesus is making this incredible point. He takes something that's negative, that is, if you have sinned that much, it will defile all of your body. Yet he says the kingdom of God will be just like that little bit that defiles all of it. You stick that in the ground and it's going to grow not just to a bush. It's not just going to grow bigger than everything else in there. It's going to grow into a tree an empire, a kingdom. It's a massive thing. It's unexpected. It's shocking. The picture that he's giving is shocking, okay? Now, that's the first one. It's, it's very like Jack and the Beanstalk. I've got these beans. I'm going to plant them. And it's like, okay. Now, um, and so the picture that he has is like, it's this massive, 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 massive tree. This is, this is what you picture. It's not like this when you're a kid, you have, again, the picture of like, oh, you plant it and it grows into a tree, okay? Um, this is supposed to be enormous, hyperbole, metaphoric, like, like a vision, okay? Now, that's the first parable. There's a second parable here in verse 33. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough, all through the dough. Now, um, 
a lot of you don't understand sort of the reference that is being made here because, again, none of us live in this time and, and, and know sort of the measurements that are being used. Um, but let's start out with this. Yeast is also, surprisingly, not really, a metaphor for sin. Um, in the ancient world, especially in the Jewish world, whenever there was a Jewish festival, uh, especially things like Passover or other Jewish festivals as well, you would have to prepare your home for the festival and you would go around your house and you would find all the yeast. Now, um, this is specifically bread that had, it was dough that had been allowed to sit and it fermented and bacteria grew that would cause the rest of the dough to rise. And so when you're making dough, you would take a little piece and you'd cut it off and you'd set it aside somewhere. You'd make the bread, um, you cook it after it has risen, you, you cook it and you serve it. And the next day, maybe you're gonna make some more bread. You're gonna take this piece, this heirloom piece from the previous bread and you're gonna make put that in the, in the next batch and that bacteria is going to spread and it's going to cause it to rise, okay? Um, and without the yeast, it's not going to rise. And in certain festivals, they're going to eat unleavened bread. Hard as a rock, flat, um, not fun. And so Jesus, once again, is using this metaphor that the rabbis would always write about. Um, they would say things like, just like a little yeast gets into the community, like a little sin gets into the community, it spreads through the whole thing and it defiles all of us. And so they wouldn't go near leper communities and they wouldn't go near, they had to be out. They had to be just outside of, uh, of the entire community or they would defile all of us. They would, they would be talked about as yeast and bread dough. Now, Jesus is once again taking this metaphor for sin and evil um, and using it to paint a picture. Now, the picture that he paints is this woman takes it and she begins kneading some dough. The measurements that she uses are actually shocking. Uh, the measurement that we have here is 60 pounds, comes to about 10 gallons of dough. Um, this makes enough bread to feed 150 people. So we're talking a small town or a wedding feast where people come from everywhere in their, in their day. Uh, so this woman has the audacity to think that she alone can feed that many people um, in reality, if you're having a festival like that or some kind of feast where you're going to feed 150 people at a wedding party or a banquet, you're going to bring in 10 or 15 people to knead all that dough, and it's still going to take them a really long time. Jesus paints this picture. He says, the kingdom of God is like a woman who brought a little bit of yeast and dropped it in the dough, and there was a mountain of dough, and she just sits there and faithfully works. And lo and behold, over time, the entire thing rises, and she is able to feed an army of people. Okay. This is how the kingdom of God works. This is what Jesus is talking about. So, why? Um, what's with all the language? So, first off, there's this idea of finding here the, the natural, uh, finding the natural and expecting natural consequences. But what you find is the supernatural consequences. In both of these parables, the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast, we find not the natural and, and the expected, but the supernatural, the surprising, the unexpected. A giant tree growing from a tiny mustard seed. It's like this really comic picture of like this farmer with an old truck who's like, look what I did. And he's got this massive tomato on the back of his truck and it's strapped on. And I'm going to go win the blue ribbon. Um, I lived in Pasco County for a while. Um, so, um, so this is like, there's these shocking pictures. So why the shocking images? Why the shocking pictures? Um, these parables are meant to undermine preconceived notions about how God works to the audience that is standing there. And from Matthew's audience to us. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, again, the people gathered there on the water that day. 
to hear Jesus speak are expecting one particular thing. They came to hear this messianic figure um, preach about the kingdom because if the kingdom's at hand, then we're going to pr- bring up all our swords and our shields and we're going to go raise, uh, just, just all, just raise all of the cities of Rome, just, all of them, just knock it all down, just destroy the whole thing, and we're going to run them all out of town. And here we are, we're going to plant our nation here again. This is how the kingdom of God is going to go, right? Um, this is how their mindset is. And so Jesus keeps telling them about the kingdom of God and sort of breaking every mindset that they have about how the kingdom of God is going to work. You mean we're not going to just rage against the army here and, and just take this whole thing down? We're not going to do that? He says, no. Here's how the kingdom of God works. I know you want to purge the land of the evil. I know you want to find every little piece of defilement. That's what the Pharisees taught. They want to find every little piece of evil and throw it out of the kingdom, and then God's reign will come. He says, we're not going to do it like that. The kingdom of God is going to be like a mustard seed, and you're going to plant it. And it's just a little seasoning for your food, but instead it's going to grow into this thing that you never expected. And you didn't even know how to raise because it's not about you. I'm going to do this. And all I'm asking you is like, like, like a woman uh, um, kneading yeast into the dough. Just be faithful. Just do the small things that you were called to do. And you let my kingdom come. And it's going to grow. And it's going to conquer. And it's not going to look like anything you ever expected. But when it's done, it's going to feed everyone. It's going to be this banquet and it's going to be this giant tree and the birds from the nations are going to come and they're going to perch. It's going to provide everything for everyone and it will be a kingdom and a nation and an empire of peace. Now, um, I want you to picture the Matthewan church. Matthew is their pastor. They're a small church, maybe 20, 25 people. I know we tend to picture um, even the church in Rome, we tend to picture it being these massive churches, like mega churches. Um, churches in the ancient world were very, very, very small. Maybe 20 people. Uh, maybe 30 people. Uh, we know there was only 300 Christians in all of Rome in the first century. 300. And the book of Romans was written to them. Um, that's the most there could have possibly been that we know. Um, so the Matthian church gathered in this small space and talking about the kingdom and these books were written communally. Um, at the end of a lot of Paul's books, there's like a list of people that he wrote the book with. And so he'd be sitting probably out on the terrace in a Roman household. And the people, all the church gathered there speaking to him. Here's some things that they need to know, that the Corinthians need to know, or the Romans need to know, or this and that. Um, and Paul is, is talking out loud about, here's what I'm going to say to them. Here's what I'm going to say to them. And people saying, oh, don't forget about this. So picture Matthew writing the gospel, uh, the, the, the story of Jesus, the gospel of Matthew, what it would become to be. Um, and his church there throwing in ideas about, you know, what I think, you know what I think the future church needs to know? And all these ideas are coming from their particular experience. They're living in an empire that is ruled by the sword, this terrifying thing. And they've got these emperors and these kings and there's all these laws and, and, and they're oppressing people and they're spreading their, their empire throughout the rest of the world and that the early Christians are regularly being abused and beaten and thrown in prison and fed to lions and, and burned alive and tortured. And so they write to the people and they say, tell them that, you know what they need to hear? Tell them that story Jesus told about the mustard seed. Tell them that story Jesus told us about, about the woman working the, the yeast into the bread that fed an entire banquet all by herself. Because they're going to sit and wonder, like us, um, 
how could 20 people here in this place, in this empire, trying to love our neighbors, how could that change anything? How could that ever bring about the kingdom of God? It seems like a hopeless kind of thing. Um, What good could a, a kind act do? What good could me moving towards my enemy and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. What good could this possibly do? What, what good does it do me to, to, to tell these people, I believe Jesus is Lord, and to possibly open myself up to being tortured and killed by renouncing the emperor? Um, what good could that possibly do? They're gonna need to know this because they're gonna live in empires just like ours, all over the world. And they're gonna have to learn to stand up and say, oh, I don't follow our, our king, our emperor, our president. I, I follow Jesus. Jesus is who I follow. And I... He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And when we say Jesus is Lord, nobody else is. And they're going to need to learn this. And they're not going to think it's worth it. And they're not going to think it's going to accomplish anything. That's why you need to tell them the story of of the yeast and the parable of the mustard seed. They need to know this. Okay? Um, All of this is incredibly important. Can one small person really think that they can somehow make this huge difference? What 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 about the yeast, right? It's... It's sinful, it's filthy. We, we throw it out. We don't, we don't really want it around. Can that person who feels like they are that, who has been thrown out, who, aren't, who isn't welcome in the holy place on the holy days, who's done too much terrible stuff, could they, could they be something useful that can make a difference in the world? I mean, if you read the scriptures from beginning to end, what you see is, is, is God entering in and having to make decisions oftentimes about who am I going to choose to do this job? And there's going to be... Um, um, there's going to be like the older brother who's like strong and, and some, one of them's like super hairy and a hunter, right? Um, and then there's this, there's this other one who's not and who's weak and skinny and likes to cook meals and, and God walks in and he's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this one. Who's the older one? Who's the strongest one? Okay, I'm going to make that one serve this one. And this is going to be my leader. Because nothing that God does ever seems to be the thing that we would do. We never seem to promote like the most... The least qualified. We're always like, who's, who's the greatest around here? You? Okay. You're going to be our leader. And all of you, all of you losers, you just fall in line and follow, follow the one who's actually successful. And that's it. But all through the scriptures, you see something different. The rightful king is revealed to be the one that they think is like the lowest of all, right? And by the way, this is how it turns out to be with God too. Um, the most powerful one is the one who suffers and dies. The, the first is last. The last is first. Um, Jesus is always turning things right side up again. Things that we would say, well, now it's upside down. Like, no, of, of course you think it's upside down. You grew up in these kingdoms of the world. That is not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is in the process of turning things right side up again. Um, now, um, so what about one person? Someone who's considered unfit or sinful. Someone who's thrown out on holy days. Someone who's considered a blight and who must be kept away lest they contaminate the rest of us. And think of the children. Um, and would they have to push them away? And Jesus says, actually, I'm going to actually use them to establish my kingdom. That's how it's going to work. And by the way, every single one of Jesus' disciples was the blight on society. We've talked about that before. I don't have time for it today. I would love to, though. Um, Now, um, Paul, at one point, and this is one of the greatest, Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus is, they're trying to be Christians in this city, which is the center for Roman emperor worship. There are monuments, 13-story monuments. One of them was declared like one of the, one of the wonders of the world, um, dedicated to the worship of the God-King emperors. 
Um, if you didn't worship the emperors, like you would go to the, go to the town um, and you had goods to sell or stuff to buy, you had money, you couldn't even go in and buy or sell anything in that city unless you first went and burned incense and offered a sacrifice to the emperor, in which case they would put a, a mark on your hand or on your forehead saying that they worshiped the emperor, now they can come in and they can buy stuff. Um, they ended up calling it the mark of the beast. The Christians told each other that. They're like, don't take it. Don't take the mark of the beast. All right? We, we, we put our trust in God. We don't believe they're emperor. We're not going to worship them. So this whole thing, like they were living in the city. Paul writes to them in their suffering, in their pain, in their regularly like struggling just to make ends meet and survive after being basically outcasts. And Paul writes to them and he tells them about this, about this thing that God is doing. And he says, this, there's, a, there's something that God is doing and it's, and God finds pleasure in doing it, he says. It's, it's for God's pleasure. He, he enjoys doing this. And what he's going to do is this. Um, it has to do with the end of all things. It has to do with the day of the Lord when everything is brought together and, and brought to light. And, and, and here's what it involves, he says. He says, to be put into effect when times reach their fulfillment. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So, there's some interesting words here. A lot has been written about these words. They're great. Um, the first one's really short. It's simple. It's the word for all things. It's one word. It's pas. Everyone say pas. Okay. Um, perfect. Now, that was easy. Let's go for a little more difficult word. The second word that I have for you is um, anakephalaiosathai. Anakephalaiosathai. Everyone say anakephalaiosathai. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't matter. Um, now, it's made up of two words. Um, the first one is, is ana, which means again. The second one is kefel, which means head. Um, so the, the idea here is that everything, pas, all things, everything, uh, there's no other way to interpret, to interpret pas. Everything is brought together under the head, who is who's Christ. And everything will be brought together under Jesus, under the Messiah, under the King. Christ is, is the Jewish word for king. When you hear that, it's not, it's not Jesus' last name. Um, it doesn't say on his license, like, Christ, Jesus. It, that means king. King Jesus. Um, so everything will be brought together under this king. Um, now, the word there that is used, it, sometimes it's translated differently because it's, it's, like a, it's a, quite a word. And um, basically it means everything out there under one thing that is over all of it. And some translators in different versions that you're reading are going are to translate it as to sum up because it's actually a first century mathematician phrase. Um, to sum up. Um, all things. Um, another one says to gather up. Another one will say, um, like, recapitulate, retell kind of thing. There's, like, this gathering, and everything is, is, is put in its proper place. Notice, okay, here's the important thing. The passage doesn't say the thing God is going to do at the end of all things when he makes everything whole again. He's going to go around, and he's going to gather up all all the greatest things, all the best things that ever happened to you, the strongest in the community, um, the, the, the most holy people, the people with the strongest faith, those who had the right systematic doctrinal systems um, with all of the pieces where they should be, all of the people who got it, um, and all the things they did right. I'm going to use those things to build my new kingdom. That's not what it says. It literally says all things. There is no like picking and choosing, somehow what he's basically saying is when the thing, this thing, this crazy thing is summed up, uh, it will include the pieces that are overlooked, that are thrown out. The kingdom is fully revealed 
it will, it, when it is fully revealed, it will also reveal how God used all of the brokenness in ways that revealed the greater love and the greater mercy and the greater beauty than if they had not been there. And let me give you an illustration of sort of how this works. A few weeks ago, we were all riveted by one story that the, 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 the was it 12 soccer players trapped in a Thai cave. In Thai, it's a terrifying thing. And they had been there for a long time. Days and days. And days. They didn't even know how long they had been there. Um, this story was riveting. There was incredible things happening, really great things happening. And there was incredibly sad things and terrible things that happened. And it was like people flying in from all over the world to try to figure this thing out. And there's a mother, there's this video of this mother standing by her son's bicycle, like holding onto it, yelling into the cave, I'm here don't be scared, I'm here, I'm, your mommy's right here. I'm like, yo, it's misty in here. It's like hot. <laughs> Gotta go. Um, and, then, and then there's like somebody making like robot submarines and they're like, nah, move on. Um, and like, there's all kinds of stuff happening. There's, there's, a, there's a, a marine like who died. There is the whole story is intense. And at one point they're like, hey, we just found out, we realized they're running out of air. We've got to take them out now. And we're all like, no, you're not ready. You have to be ready. They're like, we can't. We have to take them out now. Um, And they got them all out. And we were all just like, this is the greatest story ever. In fact, three movies right now are being made about that story. (laughs) One of them by a Christian movie company. Not interested. Um, (laughs) Because here's the thing. They, I'm not going to say that they ruin stories. They, they just make them really happy. It's all the great stuff. And like, you can tell me all that happened and nobody cursed. Come on. Um, anyways. Um, so, but here's the thing. When you tell the story, you emphasize the bad things. You focus on them. You don't avoid them. Nobody wants to hear a story about like, so this kid was born and at a very young age, everyone knew he was special. Turns out he was. And then he won. And then he like, he like killed it. And then he succeeded. And then he got accolades and lived forever because he invented something that never killed him. And everyone still loves him to this day. Nobody wants to watch a movie like that. It's not interesting because we don't relate to it. It doesn't make sense with what we see around us. What we want to see is, is the horror, the terror of life, Um, and people fighting against it. Whether or not they win or lose, we want to see people fighting against darkness, especially when they succeed. Um, This is what this means. Somehow, when the kingdom of God is told, all these parts will be used to emphasize the greatness of the whole thing. The things that we avoid every day. The things that will make the movie about the Thai rescue so amazing are not the great things. It's all of the things that we spend our lives avoiding happening. All the things that terrify us. We don't want any kind of fear. We don't want any kind of strife or or difficulty. We don't want anything ever to happen. But in the story, that's what makes it so intense and beautiful. Who learns everything that they need to learn from succeeding all the time. Nobody does. Nobody has ever decided to change their life 
swinging in a hammock with an umbrella drink. Nobody has ever decided to change their life when things are perfect. They change their life when things are broken, uh, when they've lost everything. You, you tap somebody on the shoulder who you see about to do something, and you say, hey, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Why? I've done that. And here's what happened. I lost everything. And you have good things. Here's what happened to me. I don't want this to happen to you. And suddenly, your thing is this life-changing gift to somebody else. And what about, I mean, your life? When you tell the stories, the things that happen in your life, when you tell a story, we went on a trip, and, and you come back, and, and people are like, how was it? It was terrible. Why? What happened? And you say, let me tell you a tale. Sit down. And you just tell. You just go on. And, it, and this broke down, and that broke, and we got lost, and so-and-so didn't know that was illegal, and we got, we got arrested. And then... This and that. It's just this long story. And you're like, that was the greatest story ever. Why? Because it was awful. <laughs> but here you are. And now you can talk about it. And that's what actually makes the story big and beautiful and interesting. Now, um, when you stand back and look at all, this whole wild, crazy thing, at the end of it all, you will see somehow, we are told in scriptures, you will see that your pain is somehow part of it. The unexpected will come, uh, will, will turn into this whole other thing that will change the course of your life, of human history. And you are asked for some responses. How to think about all of this. You'll find that your suffering was part of the journey, that the, the, that the time that you lost hope, that you set off on a new journey, you deconstructed, you lost all of your faith, it ended up in the complete renewal of the whole thing. Um, you find this whole new place and you actually learn to spread it to other people and it's actually bringing hope to other people. Now, what we find is the kingdom of God throughout the scriptures. And, and I don't know when we started talking about this, that when you're a Christian, um, you start off here and then you get better and better and better and better and better and better and better as a Christian. That's how being a Christian works. That's not how actually even the scriptures work. The Old Testament is a, a long list of all the things the people of God did wrong and God being faithful to them through it and using them to still do his thing. Doesn't make any sense. Um, and so we can get rid of like of this whole thing. Like the, the kingdom of God is not a big line up and to the right. That's not how it goes. Um, the kingdom will come and God will use the smallest plants, the stuff that, that you just threw out that you didn't think was useful in your life. Um, he will use the things that you think didn't matter, the things that couldn't matter. He will use the people that you have ignored. Um, and when you, you will hear stories in the kingdom of God um, about a small, lowly woman who was faithful in one small thing that changed the course of the entire thing. That's what you will hear. You will hear a story about, about, about a woman who was faithful to a child with autism um, who never understood what she was doing for him. And, and she worked with him tirelessly day in and day out, and it was difficult, and they were violent, and it was hard. And when you went out in public, people scoffed at you, and they talked down to you, and they, and they, they felt higher about themselves th than you. And they didn't know anything. And you're alone in this thing. And you're, you're pouring your heart out for this, this person who will probably never love you as much as you love them. Those are the kind of stories that will be in the kingdom of God. And God will point to them and say, you know what came of that? All of this. They will be filled with stories of, of, 
of, of a single mother working three jobs to take care of her children after she lost her husband and, and struggling every day to make ends meet and just being faithful, never really attaining greatness in the eyes of anyone except for her children. Those are the stories you're going to hear and somehow these things will have changed the direction of the whole thing. Whereas a bunch of people at the top think they're doing exactly what will change the direction of the whole thing. And they're not. You are. And then you're going you're gonna to read the stories about the person who had nothing. They just, she had maybe $25 a month and she sent it to this girl in, in a third world country. And she was just faithful. And that girl graduated college, became highly educated, got her PhD, started this thing which changed the course of human history. That woman will never know and no one will never know it was her. God knew he was there and she did exactly what he called her to do. The unexpected coming from just a thing that uh, it's nothing. It could be everything. Really could be everything. Um, failure is all included. In, it's all part of the journey. Success, building something difficult and important. It requires a long line of failures. It's all part of the journey. Um, they're useful and they're used up in the process of building this big, huge thing. And all through scriptures, we are told all of it's going to be useful. All of it matters, okay? Um, and uh, we have this passage in Colossians where Paul writes, and says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness well in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself. That thing that you think can't be reconciled, and it doesn't make any sense. Nothing good could come of this. God's going to reconcile it. I always heard that growing up, and it made me mad. Because terrible things were happening everywhere. But for some reason, the early Christians believed it and told it to you. Uh, there's, there's a passage where Jesus talks about, he said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, and then he starts going on and talking about it. The, the day of the Lord in the mind of the early Christians was not this terrifying day. It was the great hope for the world. That's what it was always, the way it was always portrayed and talked about. It is a good day. It is the day when the lights are turned on and we can finally see what has been happening? And somehow, in all of this, and, and when Jesus tells this, these parables, the smallest seed planted grows up feeds the nations. In other words, you're not going to understand yet. One day, you will. Um, and we have to believe that when the kingdom of God is told, it's going, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna tell these stories, and there was, there was racism, and there was bigotry, there was war, there was famine. And then they're going to talk about God's faithfulness to us despite these things we do to each other. And they're going to talk about um, God's mercy upon us and how it was revealed and how despite all of these things, the kingdom of God overcame. Despite the kingdoms of the world with all their nuclear weapons and all that, despite that, the kingdom of God still came. That is the story. And the thing that you are called to do um, it, the thing that it is requiring of you, of the followers of Jesus, those who understand that Jesus is Lord, is it's not difficult to plant small things. You don't see how it's going to do anything in that moment, but it will. Most of us have a memory of a kindergarten teacher that was super nice to us that said something and it stuck with us. Little things like that. Just the faithfulness in the small things. Um, the kingdom of God requires you to plant, to, ex to expect that somehow that experience mattered and is useful. If not for you, then it's useful for someone else. 
um, to somehow put away your certainty and your expectations about how God works in this world. You've got to figure it out. You know exactly what's going to come. Your theology says this, and that's how God's going to enter into the world and do his thing. And Jesus walks up to you and says, I have a story to tell. It's a seed, and you're planting a particular thing, and this whole other thing happens. In other words, you don't know what you're talking about. Have some faith. Um, it, it, it requires you to embrace mystery and to be faithful to God and to people. Don't be quick to throw people out or write them off because God can use that. Be faithful to people. Be loving, move towards people. Um, at the end of, end of it all, when the story of the kingdom of God is retold, it will include every tragic thing in society and we will marvel at what God has done with it all which is why communion is so important. Imagine the people standing around the cross, the people who have followed Jesus, the men and women standing there, watching their rabbi crucified and suffering, and imagine them saying, what good could possibly come of this? This doesn't do anything for anyone, God. How could you let this happen? The only thing that ever came from that was the salvation of all mankind and resurrection the thing that we gather every week to talk about. This is why communion is so important. Let's, let's move into a communion time. Our communion servers, you guys can take the elements and, um, and gather and spread around the room. Um, communion, again, is that exercise where we come to see Christ in the common. The seed, the mustard seed stuck in the ground, it's just a common thing, and we come to expect uncommon things from it. Um, this is just bread. It's just wine. You come take a piece, of bre- a piece of bread, dip it in the wine, and you eat it. It's just common thing. In this moment, we are purposely seeing... We're putting on whole new lenses and we are seeing Christ crucified, poured out, broken for us. This is a soul exercise so that when you leave these doors, when you see stuff going on out there, you will see Christ in that common. You will see when somebody is feeding someone who couldn't feed themselves and you say, that's, that's Christ in the common. That is Jesus right there in the flesh doing something good. Uh, when you see someone providing clothing for someone who can't afford their own, that is Christ in the common. And we go and we see it. It's not just some good thing. It's the expressions of Christ coming through human form in this world. A kind word, looking someone in the eye and smiling, asking them about their day. Christ in the common, every little moment, um, eternal significance, all of it. And so this is what communion is. It's seeing Christ in the common, the good gift of life. So let's take some time and let's pray. And let's take communion, shall we? Father, thank you for this place and these people. We, we call out to you and we ask that you would lead us forward, that you would instill hope in us, that you would help us to be able to look around at our broken, fallen world all around us and trust that you are moving forward in ways that we cannot see and we cannot understand and trust that we Um, That if we are faithful and if we respond in ways that express that you are Lord, then somehow that is part of of, of the reconciliation of all things and the restoration of this world to you. Give us hope. Give us faith when we don't understand. Give us love when when, when hate is thrown upon us. Um, help us to be people that move towards others, not throw them out. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen. Take some time. Talk to Jesus.